morning, our Bible readings tonight are both found in the second letter of Paul to the church at Corinth from uh, 2 Corinthians, we're beginning in chapter 2, verses 14 to 17, and then moving down to chapter 5. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal possession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And now from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And now invite Mike to come and speak to us and I'll pray for him. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that your word would speak to us through Mike as he brings his prepared message tonight. Bless him, bless us and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Peter. The smell of the bleach really gets right up into your nostrils. It's almost burning. It's going to happen again this year, on the 3rd of May. Hundreds of cities and towns across the Islamic world, from Jakarta to Karachi, to Islamabad, to Cairo, 
You see, on this day, millions of Muslims will be striving to earn God's approval. And to do so, family after family after family will be sacrificing a cow or a goat. The streets literally run red. And in the afternoon, to clean the blood, to clean the entrails, they go round bags after bags after bags of bleach. And the bleach lingers. You can really smell it. It gets into the houses. It almost gets into your clothes. The smell of people striving to earn God's approval. Coming up on the screen is a photo of my friend Himmel. Uh, in the cooler months of the year in South Asia, we try to go walking uh, straight after the first of his five daily prayers, normally about five o'clock in the morning. His father is our building's wealthy landlord. His father is a lawyer, a highly influential and important person in our community. And so Himmel, the son, studied law. Himmel's name is now on his father's business signboard. Well, this next photo is a photo. Oh, this is Himmel eating iftar with us. The next photo is a photo of another of our neighbours. His name is Noor. Uh, he's got two sons, Janan, 12, and Jayan, who's just about to turn three. And Noor strives really hard to be a good dad. But the most important thing he wants is for his kids to know what it looks like to earn approval from Allah, to pray five times a day, to attend the mosque on Fridays and on the special Eid days. He desperately wants his boys to be good, but mostly he wants his boys to have Allah's approval. Well, this next photo is a photo of Imon down in the bottom right there uh, and his wife Roshni. Imon is a year or two older than me. He's a police sergeant, uh, the youngest son in a wealthy family. He and his wife have been incredibly kind and welcoming to us. Well, friends, it is lovely uh, to be back. Uh, thank you for the warm welcome that uh, Q extended to our family two weeks ago. Uh, and thank you for your ongoing uh, prayers and encouragement to us over the last three years. Now, if you think back to last Sunday when, when Lauren uh, was speaking, you remember that the message was on the nature of sonship, focusing us once again on the wonderful truth that our inclusion in God's family is by faith. It's not something we've earned. It's not by works. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiworks, created in Christ Jesus to do good works prepared in advance for us. Uh, to quote the wonderfully talented Lauren, this is our identity, this is our purpose, this is our calling, sons and daughters of the Most High, purposed for His glory, created to make much of our Creator, to declare his praises and shine to the 
shine his light to the world, to live out his kingdom mission in the all-sufficiency of his grace. This is who we are. That's it, isn't it? That's the nature of being sons and daughters of the living God. And now he invites us to be obedient to the Father and to accomplish his kingdom work. And friends, this is the glorious calling on our lives. So today, it's my privilege to invite us to consider together, to look at scripture and ask the next steps. If that's the nature of sonship, then what's the implication? What does it mean for our lives? So we're going to dive into God's word. And we're going to explore what are the implications. What does it mean to say that we are created to make much of our creator, to declare his praises and to shine his light to the world, to live out his kingdom mission in the all-sufficiency of his grace. But before we open God's word, uh, will you join with me as we Father God, I specifically ask that this evening, uh, as we look into your word, that you may be prompting, encouraging one, two, or maybe more of the people here tonight to seriously engage with you in a conversation about making Jesus known among the unreached world. God, Holy Spirit, please be prompting us and guiding us to know where you are inviting us to be your hands, to be your feet. We pray this for your church to grow all around the world and for your glory. Amen. So today we're looking at these two relatively short passages um, from 2 Corinthians. But firstly, it's good to put these passages in a bit of bigger context of where they fit in the book of 2 Corinthians. So Paul, having been called to be an apostle of Jesus, has been busy proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, this gospel of grace, amongst non-Jewish towns, uh, drawing believers together, forming small home-based house churches, and establishing leaders. Now this has gained the attention of the Jewish leaders, and they are not happy. So we read about Paul facing lots of um, harassment, being bashed, being stoned. Now, Paul has a real, genuine love for this church that meets in Corinth. That's why this is now his fourth letter, although it's 2 Corinthians, it's only the second letter in the scriptures, we know that he wrote two others. Now, one of the purposes that Paul has in writing 2 Corinthians is that it's become obvious that there are some individuals within the church who have been maligning his name, spreading rumours about him or his character. And so he's writing to defend himself. But then in the middle of 2 Corinthians, from chapter 2, 14, where we start, through until chapter 7, Paul's explaining to this small group of believers the true nature and indeed the high calling of Christians, including the joys, but also the suffering and the rewards that's been part of being a faithful servant of Christ. 
and it's within this section within the broader book of 2 Corinthians that we're looking this evening. So it starts, but thanks be to God that he always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. You see, in the time of the Roman rulers, the time that Paul was writing, when a big ruler or a military um, leader returned from battle victorious, he would want to make that known. And the way he would do that, he, was, he would lead these processions through the towns, through the cities, making noise, the leader, followed by his soldiers, and with them, new slaves or people who have willingly um, submitted themselves to this ruler's leadership. And to make it known, one thing that they would do is they would burn incense not just a little bit of incense, but lots of incense, so that it would go into the second and the third laneway across. So it would seep into households, so that it would linger, so that people who weren't there to see physically the procession, they would smell the incense and they would know the leader has been victorious. And here Paul is saying that we having been won by Christ's great love, his victory over the death, we are now part of this triumphal procession. But more than just part of it, we are being used by God to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. We are the reminder that Christ is victorious. We are to Christ the pleasing aroma so we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. Now it's interesting. To who are we the pleasing aroma? To God. Primarily, first and foremost, we are pleasing to God. We are glorifying Him amongst, above anything else in our life. Our number one thing is to be glorifying Him, to be pleasing Him. And it's not because of anything we've done. No simply because of his great love for us. As sons, as daughters of the, our Heavenly Father, we are pleasing to him. We are, to God, the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So yes, it is to God that we are the pleasing aroma, but look at the context of where it's happening. It's everywhere amongst those who are being saved, amongst those who are perishing. It is pleasing to God that we are his witnesses amongst all people. Now, two weeks ago, Jeff spoke about the idea of being a church without walls. And isn't this the picture of that? That we are a lingering, pleasant aroma of the victory of God through Christ into our homes, into our neighbourhoods, into our workplaces, onto our university campuses. This is the picture of being the pleasing aroma of God amongst all people. To one, we are the aroma that brings death. To the other, the aroma that brings life. An uncomfortable but core truth in Scripture 
is that there are two paths that all people are journeying on. One, the path to life, the path of Christ, the path of victory. And amongst the people of that path, the body of Christ is a pleasing aroma. We are an encouragement to each other. We bring joy, it brings joy to meet together. But to the other path that leads to death. And there we are foolishness. There the cross of Christ is offensive. But Paul goes on. And who is equal to such a task? Well, when I look at my own fears, my trepidation towards sharing, when I look at how eager I am to step backwards, when I think of the temptations that I struggle with, I put my hand up and I say, well, definitely not me. And that's exactly Paul's point, that none of us are equal to this task. And actually, this is incredibly freeing because it means that we don't have to have an attitude of, I have to work harder, I have to do better. No. That would just lead to exhaustion, frustration and tiredness. But rather, as Paul says, just seven verses or so later in chapter three, verse five, he says, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything but our competence comes from God. For he has made us competent as ministers of this new covenant because of the Spirit. You see, brothers and sisters, it is Christ at work in us through the Spirit that equips us to be this aroma. And then we see in verse 17 that having been equipped by the Spirit, the task set before us, the way to be the pleasing aroma of God, is to faithfully present the Word of God. So, for us to be the pleasing aroma of God, Christ amongst our neighbours here in Melbourne, or amongst my neighbours in South Asia, it actually takes more than just being present. Yes, being present is huge, and Christ incarnated, he was present on earth amongst the Jews. But it's more than just presence. We have a message to share. And this message, this is our father's message. Just like Himmel followed his father into law, Himmel followed his father into his father's business, we follow our Father into our Father's business. And our Father's business is of making Christ known, of seeing people turn from darkness to light and to glorifying the Father. And Paul wraps it up beautifully in this wonderful summary of what it means to be in our Father's message in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm just going to read it straight through again. For Christ's love compels us we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again 
So from now on, we consider no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Christ made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now it's, a, it's an act of grace that it is God who has committed us this message, that we are ministers of reconciliation, but it is also God who has equipped us through the Spirit to participate. It's not about us trying harder. It's not about us doing better, but it's about the Holy Spirit at work in my life. But do you, did you see where that first started? For we are convinced. Well, are we? Because it's this conviction, conviction in Christ's love that is the fuel and passion that will lead us to share our faith with people who don't know him yet. It's the conviction of Christ's love that will be the fuel and passion that will lead us to pray for the Muslim world. It's Christ's love that will be the fuel and passion that will lead us to give sacrificially to see countries which don't know Jesus hear the gospel. And it is the conviction of Christ's love that will equip us. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will equip one or two or more here tonight to seriously think about giving 10 or 20 years of your life to make Jesus known. Is it easy? No. Is it wise from a worldly point of view? No. But is it good? hundred times over. Throughout the Islamic world, the aroma of bleach is the aroma of legalism, the aroma of people calling, of people striving to earn God's approval. And we are the aroma of of grace. As we conclude this evening, I invite you to join with me in praying a very simple prayer. Jesus, I am convinced you died for all. Help me to live for you. Jesus, where and to whom do you want me to be the pleasing aroma of Christ? Here in Melbourne, all over the world. It is my prayer.
50 or 100 years' time, the aroma of Christ may overpower the aroma of bleach. At the moment, in my town in South Asia, a town twice the size of Geelong, I could count the number of believers who have come to faith from Islam and my fingers. But we have the opportunity to be the aroma of grace into that space. So return with me now to my neighbours in South Asia. What might it look like to be the aroma of grace, the aroma of Christ there? Well, it might look like Catherine, my wife, being willing to interrupt her evening routine when Roshni knocks on the door one evening. Her relative had passed away just a few weeks before, and since that time, Roshni had been scared to be in her flat alone after dark for fear that his spirit was going to be in the building. And so, of course, we were in the middle of bedtime jobs and getting two active young boys into bed. So, of course, Catherine said, oh, no, come back in 20 minutes. No. Catherine allowed the interruption. Catherine welcomed her in, sat her in the front room, served her tea, conversation flowed. And in the process, Catherine was able to speak about how through Christ, we have freedom from fear. Or being the aroma of Christ might look like the day with Noor, the next photo, when our younger son was six months old, um, we had a rice feeding celebration. The first time a little kid eats rice is, is big news. So we invited our whole building and uh, everybody came and took a little handful of rice and popped it straight into Tom's mouth. You know, perfect, you know, COVID safe practices in the middle of a global uh, pandemic. But what we did different in this rice feeding celebration, well, we still had the chili. Tom didn't like that very much. But what we did different was I stopped and I read scripture. I spoke about how God was a loving God and how I prayed that Tom would know the love of God every day of his life. And Mills, he came up to me at the end and he said, yes, that. We need to be doing more of that. We need to be talking about God more and more publicly and praying. Because he doesn't believe in Jesus one iota. Maybe God is at work in his heart and we have the opportunity to be the aroma of grace. Or maybe being the aroma of Christ looks like when I walk with Himmel and sometimes it is painful getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go for a walk. But sometimes in walking with him and talking, I realize that despite the fact that he has followed his father's footsteps into law, Actually, he doesn't have much respect for his father. Not for the way his father was a dad. Not the way his father is a husband. 
And so he asked me questions. What do you think is the most important thing in a good marriage? How do you know when you're ready to be a dad? Friends, these are the sorts of questions we should just be jumping for joy at. Because I get to say, well, actually, if it was just up to me, I wouldn't be a good husband. But I know that God wants me to love. And so I can ask him. I've got the model of Jesus to model my life on. Or if I was just trying to raise my boys out of my own strength, I would be tired and impatient. But God has given me a model of what it means for him to love me until I try to reflect that. Friends, what does it look like for you? Who is God putting on your heart now to be the aroma of Christ to here in Melbourne? And I pray that the Holy Spirit might be nudging one or two or more of you to consider to be that beautiful, pleasing aroma of grace, to be part of washing away the aroma of bleach and to be the aroma of grace and to see a world that knows Jesus. Join with me as we pray. Father God, some aromas are just offensive. And to you, the aroma of people striving to earn your approval. God, that you're so sad by that because you want people to know that your approval is free in grace through Christ. Lord, help us to be part of that aroma. Not from our own strength, not from trying harder, but because we're saying we want to be part of what you are doing in this world, God. We want your Holy Spirit to be equipping us. We want your Holy Spirit to be transforming us. Father God, I do pray that you will be nudging one or two consider for the first time or to consider afresh to give a chunk of their lives to making Jesus known, not only here in Melbourne, but all around the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if that is you, don't leave without talking to someone about it. Um, is it easy? Is it good? A hundred times over. Thank you.